Good morning, everyone. Today I'm going to be reading from uh, James 1, 19 through 24. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the planted implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance now to come to your word. Thank you for uh, our kids. Thank you for our band. Thank you for so many that make this moment possible. God, for us to be able to be still and rest before you. Thank you for our kids and their teachers right now and their classes. Uh, thank you for those that are holding babies right now. Thank you, God. Uh, for this space, this building. God, what a blessing it is uh, to be uh, sheltered from storms or sun or heat or cold and to have a, a peaceful moment to come before your word and hear your word proclaimed over us. God, may we not take this moment for granted. God, may we, we feel the, the privilege that it is to be before you, to have your word that you gave for thousands of years through through dozens of people, God, that you preserved and, and then translated into a language that we speak and can understand. God, thank you for the privilege of knowing your word. God, may we today, as we, we have this moment together, may this moment not pass without us being receptive, listening, having open hearts and ears, open eyes to see you. And may you transform us. May you change us. May we not leave this place the same way we entered it. May we be all the more convicted of who we are apart from you, all the more convicted about how glorious you are, and all the more amazed and, 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 and empowered, God, to follow you with our whole being. God, James calls us not to be double-minded, not to be pulled in different directions. God, may you have our whole heart today, even in this moment, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In a book called uh, Improving Your Serve, Chuck Swindoll uh, uses a, a memorable illustration that I, I thought was appropriate for today. He, he invites us to imagine a, a global company that's setting up branches all across the world. And uh, the regular practice is that the CEO would, would kind of leave the home office and go and, and set up these, these branches as, as they expanded. And so this one time, it was all imaginary, but this one time this, the CEO goes to Europe and he's going to be gone about six months. And so uh, Chuck Swindoll invites us to imagine this is, this is pre-internet, this is pre-telephone even, this is primary days where only the, the letter was the only way he could communicate. He could write back home 
back to the home office. And so he puts his assistant in charge and, and tells his assistant, I'm going to send you a letter if, as much as I can, probably every week with instructions, step by step, how to manage the home office while I'm away setting up this branch in Europe. And so he leaves, and sure enough, true to his word, he sends, sends letters back. And after six months, he comes back. And as soon as he comes up to the home office, he realizes something has not gone right. Because as soon as he walks up, the landscape obviously has not been touched since he left. The weeds are waist high. There's some windows that are even broken. At the outside, he can tell the home office has not been taken care of. He walks in, and the receptionist has her feet up on the table. She's doing her nails. The place is a mess. The trash cans are overflowing. Vacuuming hasn't been done probably in the last six months. It just looks like a pigsty. And so he rightfully asks for the assistant. The receptionist doesn't even look up from her nails, just kind of points down the hall. He goes, eventually bumps through the crowd to find the guy that was in charge. He's like, what is going on? He's like, what do you mean? So he says, let's go into my office, and only to find out that his office has been converted into a room that's set up for, for TVs, for watching afternoon TV, you know, just, just right there in his office, what well, used to be his office. And so he's like, what, what's going on? He's, he's questioning his assistant. Why, why did you do this? What's going on? And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, did you not get my letters? And the assistant said, of course we got your letters. You are a great writer. He's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, yeah, every, in fact, your letters are so good that we set up every Friday night, we have a letter study together. And we study the letters that you write. And you know what? We even, as a way of, of understanding them better, we split up in small groups to discuss how, what we think they mean and to understand them better. And some of our most dedicated people, they've even memorized some of the things you've said. And the, the CEO says, okay, but what have you done with what I've said? And the assistant said, Done? Oh, well, nothing. And see, you said, what? You missed the point. You missed missed the point. Chuck Swindoll tells that story to to help us think through what it would be like to receive these letters, to receive God's Word, study it, discuss it, even memorize it, and yet completely ignore what it says. That maybe would be dangerous for a company and, you know, whatever organization. You may lose your job. You may you know, disappoint some customers. But these are matters, when it comes to God's Word, these are matters of life and death. This is about eternity. Eternity is in the balance. Your soul is at stake. Are we hearing God's Word and just hearing it? Or are we hearing it and being willing to do it? James, as we've started on this study, uh, we've said this is a book about faith that works or working faith. Faith that's functioning as it's supposed to, doing what it's supposed to, accomplishing what it's supposed to. Because genuine faith is not faith that just sits alone and then never does anything. It's faith that takes action, faith that leads to work. And so this morning, uh, James applies the impact of of God's Word in our lives. And and this is, I think, the, the main thing I want you to hear today, is that as we think about how this, the Word, His Word lands on us, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you, is to let God's Word go to work on you. Let God's Word go to work on you. If you are a Christian, if you have been in the Bible and and you've let it have an impact in your life, my challenge is that it would go to work. It would be at work in your life. It would be changing you, transforming you, shaping you. This Word is powerful. It is not weak. It is not uh, powerless. It is powerful. And it can change and transform your life. Don't just read it and ignore it. Let God's Word go to work. If you were here last Sunday in verse 18 of James 1, the very last verse we looked at, uh, he has this powerful phrase that he writes, 
about how God brought us forth by the word of truth. And we said that word of truth is the gospel message that God in some point or another, if you are a Christian, proclaimed his word through a messenger to proclaim this message, the gospel message, and that when it comes into your heart, it brings you to life. And we talked about regeneration, how the Bible talks about you must be born again, that you have new life in Christ. You were born once physically, and if you're a Christian, you have been reborn. You have come to life spiritually. And that is done by God's word, the message, the gospel that has come and been put in your hearts. And so in verse 21, he continues that by saying, receive with meekness the implanted word. And that implanted word is the gospel message, this gospel that has come into your hearts. And if it's come there, there should be evidence. It should change you. It should transform you. Receive the implanted word. God's word has been put in your life. And if it's really there, it will make a difference. What, what, what a command. If you are a Christian, and if you, which means you've turned from your sins, you've said, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and you've believed in Jesus, that He is your Savior, then God has put His Word in your heart. Meaning the Spirit Himself, God's Spirit, has come and applied the message, applied the gospel to your heart that you have been forgiven, that you are no longer held responsible for your sins, that Jesus paid for them. Because of the Spirit putting the Word in your heart. You have an implanted Word in your heart. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the way James describes it. And he says, now receive that implanted Word. Now James, who, who wrote this book, is a, uh, one of the biological siblings. So we call him a half-brother because you know Joseph wasn't a biological parent to Jesus, but Mary was. And so we call James a half-brother of Jesus. And as you go through this book, if you start reading it carefully and you go back and see the things Jesus said, you're like, wait a second, G James, he, I know where he got this. <laughs> he knows his brother. He knows his brother's teaching. So as you hear, receive the implanted word, I wonder if there's a parable that Jesus tells that may come to mind. Jesus told a parable about a sower who goes out and scatters seed. And this, the parable is really about the four different soils that it lands on, uh, a hard path, a rocky ground, and a ground that has a bunch of thorns, but then the final one is the good soil. And he says the seed that goes into the good soil brings forth fruit. It does what it's supposed to do. And so Jesus, as Jesus taught that, and now James is thinking back to his older brother's teachings, and that this is what it means to be a Christian, that we have received the word. It has been implanted. It's gone down into our hearts. But a good seed in good soil doesn't stay there. It bears fruit. It comes out. Things happen. Good things happen and come from it. Receive the implanted word which is to say, let God's word have its work on you. We heard from Ezekiel a moment ago, and this has really been God's plan from, from all along. The, the Old Testament prophets saw it. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, this is God speaking through the prophets. He said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear that? He, you, you were dead. Apart from Christ, apart from God's word in you, your heart was a heart of stone. You know, you know how many beats per minute a heart of stone makes? Zero. <laughs> Zero. A heart of stone has no life. But he says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. He's going to change it. It's bring you spiritual life. And what happens when you have that heart of flesh? He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That means uh, when you were a stone, you couldn't follow God. You, you weren't, didn't have any spiritual life. Nothing you did was pleasing to God. Apart from faith, no one can please God. 
but you have a heart of flesh, the spirits come into your life, the words come into your life, now it beats. And what it does is it, we follow God. We follow His statutes. Walk according to my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Many of the other prophets saw this too. Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. A new heart that begins to follow the word of God. For us as Christians, the word isn't just a, a book on a shelf. The word is not just some, some interesting stories and poetry and uh, interesting things from long ago that we just put up there and pull down when we want to. God, God has brought us life and he did it through his word. He did it by applying the word to our hearts. In doing so, He gave us a new heart, a new life, and it changes us. It changes us. The Bible, when it talks about your heart, is not talking about that beating organ. It's talking about your affections. It's talking about what do you want in life, your desires. What do you truly desire in life? The, 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 the seat of your emotions and your affections, that's the, your heart. And so your, your heart's been changed. It means you have new desires, new affections, new things that you care about. And so James tells us that our hearts are changed and that we're supposed to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, I, I've read that to you now a few times. You've heard me say it and nobody's like scratching my head. But if you stop and think about that phrase for a minute, does that strike you as odd? Receive what's been implanted. So do you already have the word in you? Yes. Are you supposed to receive it? Yes. Wait, which is it? Is it one or both? Like, if you have it, do you, why do you need to receive it? If you don't have it, when you, isn't that confusing? Is that confusing to you? kind of makes me scratch my head. When I heard it and I first thought about that, I thought about the Abbott and Costello skit from the 70s. Who's on first? Does anybody remember that one? Was that the one it was, the 70s? I think I, I Googled it. No? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I found it. Never mind. Yeah, okay. Whatever. You guys laughed. All right. I, I didn't see the 70s, so, you know. It was pre-1989. That's all I know. And they said, uh, who's on first, right? That's, that's their skit. He's going through the baseball list. Uh, everybody on the roster uh, has got a funny name, like who or what or I don't know and why and because. And so it's so confusing because who's on first? He says, who's on first? And he says, I don't know. You tell me, you know. That's the guy's name. Well, what I, you know, they go back and forth. When I hear receive with meekness the implanted word, I, I hear a comedy skit. How, how can it be both? Do you have it or not? Receive with meekness. The implanted word. What's the Bible saying? What the Bible's doing, if you, if you start looking for this, this happens all the time in the Bible. That the Bible is creating a category that doesn't exist in our mind. In our natural mind, you either have it or don't. And the Bible says, receive it even though you have it. That category doesn't exist. And so we've got to have a new category in our mind of something that we have and yet we still need to receive. I searched all week for a good comparison. The best one I found was from uh, John Piper. He compares it to oxygen. All, all illustrations are going to fall short, but this is as best as I, I could find. Do you already have oxygen in you? Yes. If you could hear me, if you were conscious to hear me ask that question, the answer is yes. And yet, do you need to receive oxygen? Of course. And a sign of life that you have is that the oxygen flowing through your diaphragm whether you're thinking about it or not, is telling your diaphragm to, to expand and contract so that air keeps coming inside your, your lungs, right? You, that's how it works. You have it, and yet you still need to receive it. You are alive because you have oxygen, and you stay alive because you continue to get oxygen. Now, again, like I said, it's an illustration. It could fall short, but it helps us understand a little bit of what it's like to have the Word of God. 
If you are a Christian, the word's been planted in you. That's the only way you have life. It's, it's, it's in you. You have the gospel. You've received it. And yet the gospel is not something you graduated from and just left back when you were seven. You always need the gospel. You need to keep breathing in the gospel message. You need to keep understanding and growing deeper and deeper in God's word. And so we talk about the word of truth. We're talking about this, this the core message of the whole Bible is the gospel. But all the Bible points to the gospel. So really we're talking about the whole word. So here, here's my encouragement to you. If you're going to receive the implanted word, don't try to go a whole week holding your breath. You are, you are, whether, if you can hear my voice, I'm telling you about this. I'm, I'm giving you the word. You come to church on Sunday. We sing it. We pray it. We preach it. You are getting the word. And here's my concern is that many of you are so strong that you can hold your breath a whole week. Listen, don't be a superhero. you you got to admit we need the word. You need the word tomorrow and Tuesday, even Wednesday. You need the word every single day. My challenge to you is to receive what you already have. You say, I already read it once. Great. You still need oxygen today, and you still need God's word. Now, uh, twice in the last week and a half, somebody has quoted back to me something I said at the very beginning of the year, which like never happens, so I just wanted to celebrate. Sometimes, sometimes people listen. It's amazing. Twice in the last week, somebody has quoted back to me. The very first Sunday of the year, we were talking about Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus fends off uh, the devil's attacks, and he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that first Sunday of the year, I challenged all of you to take one step forward in 2023 in your personal time with God's Word. So if you are not having any personal time, my challenge was for you just to set aside a few minutes where you're in God's Word. And we talked a little bit about that. If you already are taking that step, then maybe your, your challenge is to go a little bit deeper or to read a little bit more, to spend a little bit more time, or maybe journal about what you're reading so you can comprehend it. Or, or maybe your step would be to, to set aside the devotional book so you don't have the, something to lean on and, and to only have God's Word. And it's going to challenge you. It's going to push you. It's hard to do that if you're, you're used to having somebody else tell you about God's Word, but to only have God's Word. And so twice, two, two different times this week, people have said, this is how I've stuck with it. I started it when you said that, and I've stuck with it. I'll tell you, it's possible. You can grow in your understanding of God's Word as you breathe, day in and day out, relying on receiving the implanted Word. And if you've failed since January, as I, I have not kept the things I wanted to do fully, and so, hey, we have God's grace. Today you can step forward and say, I, I want to continue in that. I want to be somebody who breathes with God's word. I want to receive the implanted word. You know what it's going to take to receive that? He says it takes meekness. Receive with meekness. Some of your translations may say humility. Why, why do you need humility or meekness to receive the word? It's because the word is going to challenge you. The word's going to push you. The word's going to call you out. The word's going to to say some things about God that, that you didn't understand, that you didn't know. It's going to make you uncomfortable in places. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move in you. And if you're going to hear it, you've got to be humble enough to receive it. We have to be teachable. I think there's one synonym I could give you here for meekness. It'd be teachable. That God, you allow God to speak into your life. If you're going to be a doer of the word, you've got to be able to receive it. You've got to be teachable. Do, do you know that you're a work in progress? <laughs> we are all works in progress. We, we're, we're all a piece of work, as my dad would say. You're a piece of work, right? We are all a piece of work. 
We are works in progress. We need God to continue to work in us. We, do we have the, the humility, the meekness, the teachability to receive the word that's been implanted, to continue to come and to breathe and to follow him? Or are you running through life so fast that you can't catch a breath? And just trying to hold your breath from one thing to the other, get a little gasp here and there, a little bit of Bible, a little bit of Bible, just a little bit to keep going, a little bit of oxygen here and there. Or can you receive deeply, breathe deeply on the Word of God? That's the only way it's going to work on you. A little bit here and there will, will only get you so far. If you're going to run the marathon of life, you need deep lungs. You need, you need big lungs to be able to breathe in God's Word. You, you know why some of us don't come to, to God's Word very often? I'm going to switch metaphors on you. I know this is confusing to me. I've been talking about oxygen. I'm going to call it a feast now. You know why some of us don't come to God's Word? It's because our bellies are already full of other stuff. God's Word is a feast. God's Word is, is this incredible table that's been set before us, and yet some of us, our stomachs are already full, but we don't, we don't want it. Uh, imagine God's, God is the, this incredible chef sitting at your kitchen tomorrow morning, and He can do omelets on command. He can do incredible French toast with all kinds of different things. You, you name the most gourmet breakfast, and He can do it. That's what's waiting for you at your kitchen table. But on the way down, you found a whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts and you shoved them all in your mouth. And now that omelet that looks good most of the time looks terrible. You want to puke. There's nothing wrong with that. It's that your stomach is so full of other stuff. We fill our lives with so many things. Our lives and our minds are consumed with media and social media and, and so many different conversations and busyness. Let me tell you, I say this from experience, we are busy. <laughs> we are busy people. You would laugh if you saw the calendar that Amber and I share on our phones. That's the only way we can show up to the things we're supposed to show up to because we're just busy. Three kids and all these things that we do. We're so busy. Do you carve out the time to feast on God's Word? Do you carve out the time that this would be, you have an appetite. You come hungry to God's Word to be able to spend time with Him, to grow in Him, to know Him. The only way that God's Word is going to work on your life the only way you can receive the implanted word and that God's word can begin to work is if you're spending time feasting with him. Don't treat God as a grab-and-go continental breakfast, right? You've all been there. We do that. I did it this morning, actually. I was out of my oatmeal, so I grabbed a granola bar. It's all of that, right? We do this all the time in our, in our, our physical bodies. Do you, do you spend time with God's word or you grab-and-go? Speaking to this word... We see the power it has if we'll just listen. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And he says this is critical. Why? Because this word is able to save. This word is able to save. That's the end of verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Literally the word used there is power. It has the power to save you. It has the power to save you. If you're a Christian, so in, in one very real sense, you have already been saved. Right? We talk about our, our salvation. If you received Christ, you have been saved. You've been counted righteous by faith alone, by the gift of God's grace alone. That's when you were saved. If you've received Christ, you are saved. And James also speaks of salvation. Now, he's not contradicting that, but he's talking about the future that's still to come, that your salvation is still an ongoing thing. God is still at work. Again, don't hear mishear me. You are saved, and that's unchangeable. God, God if, he is, if he saved you, he saved you. It's not going to change. And yet God, the, God's word, James and so many others, the way they talk about salvation is that you were justified, yes, on day one, but your salvation includes that he makes you more holy. 
He is continuing to shape you. He's continuing to grow you. So this word is also a part of your sanctification, that you are being made more like Christ. Until the day when Christ comes back, or when you die and you're resurrected, that you are glorified. All that is a part of your salvation. This word is how God does it. He is shaping you. He saved you by his word, and he's continuing to shape you more and more until Christ comes back. This is the tool. This is what God uses to save your souls. Do you see the power it has? Jesus, this, this is no, this is no mere, mere novel. This is not just something you put on your shelf. It is a powerful tool that God used to save us and continues to save us. I think James 1.21 sounds a lot like Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul commands us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you hear the work there. You hear the effort. Work out your salvation. The next verse, though, is, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So who's working, God, us or God? Yes. <laughs> yes. God has put his word in you. That word has the power to save you. Let that word go to work on your life. Receive it daily. Let it continue to transform you as you continue to grow up in your faith. That may sound a little theoretical or, or abstract, but James has an amazing way of being really concrete, doesn't he? Just really simple, straight to the point. Here, here it is, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We, we would say, don't let it go in one ear and out the other, right? Be doers. Hear it and apply it. Don't be the, the assistant who gets the letters from the CEO and ignores it all, even after reading it. Be a doer of the word. James uses the illustration of a mirror. Verse 23 and 24 says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his, intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. When we come to God's word, you know what we see sometimes? We got, we got some, some stuff stuck in our teeth. We got some sin in our lives. Or to use Jesus' words, you got, a, you got a plank. You got a huge, huge two by four sticking out of your eye. Nobody would, would come and see the pain, see the problem that's in their life and just ignore it. That's foolishness. And yet when we come to God's word, and we let it speak into our lives and then do nothing, that's what we're doing. We're, we're seeing the problems that are in our own hearts, and then we are ignoring them. When we hear God's word, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the grace that God has, we hear his love, we hear the way he has orchestrated all of history to get the gospel message to us. When we hear all that and then just walk away ho-hum, we're looking at our face in a mirror, and we're ignoring what we look like. We don't, we don't like to be challenged. We don't like to change. Change is a word that gives us all the twitches. You know, we don't, change is bad. We don't like change. And so when it comes to our lives, how many times do we hear a call to change and yet we rationalize our own continuing down the same path we've always been on? Do you do that? I do that. We hear a command. We hear a call. And we, we say, I, you know what? I just, I've been doing it this way. and it's, it's been all right for me for all these years. So I'm just going to keep on keeping on my own way. You know what's happening? I think we're falling into a trap there from the devil and from the sinful desires of our own hearts that he calls right here in verse 25. He calls the law, he calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. We, we come to God's word and we say, I, I'm not, I'm not going to obey that part because it makes me uncomfortable and I want the freedom to live how I want to live. Anybody else do that? <laughs> okay, you don't say it that way, but we're Americans. We have a statue of liberty. We have a liberty bell. We understand liberty, right? Liberty is I do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know what that is? That is not liberty. That is being enslaved 
to the desires of our own hearts. I'm glad that America is free, by the way. This is no knock. I love my country. But when we take that, that definition of liberty and take it to the Bible, we're, we're in a dangerous place. Because the way the Bible talks about following our hearts is not a positive thing. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts will lead us down a very bad path. If we spend all of our lives following our own hearts, we're going to destruction. When the Bible talks about true freedom, it's the freedom not to sin. Do you know apart from Christ, you don't have that freedom. Apart from Jesus' work in your life, you and I are bound. We are shackled. We are like slaves bound to sin. We are going to continue in sin forever. And when God put His Word in our hearts, He brought us liberty. He brought us freedom. He brought new life, and He brought liberty. So many times, like this, here's another category that doesn't exist apart from God's Word. The law of liberty. That sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like, am I free or do I have to obey the law? The Bible says, yes. This is the good news, is that God has made a new way for you to live. He's changed your heart so you don't have to be bound by your own sin anymore. The Word goes to work on your life, and it leads you to a new path. You know what laws I'm grateful for? I'm grateful for that bright yellow line down the middle of the road that says, y'all stay over there, I'm going to stay over here. That's a law I like. You know what happens because of that law? I can get in my car just a few miles down the road, and I can drive very peacefully from my house to here in about five minutes. And I have no fear of somebody else coming. Maybe I should, you know, but generally, there is a freedom to go 40 miles an hour or so on every road between my house and, and here. If there was no law about the yellow line, if there's no yellow, I would have no freedom. I would be bound by always looking around the corner, see which car's coming next, and which way, and playing, playing dodgeball all the way here, right? But because there's a law, I have the freedom to drive safely here. In a much greater, that's a very small illustration, but in a much greater, more amazing way, God has given us a law that is beautiful, the perfect law of liberty, a way to live. We studied the Ten Commandments earlier this year. These are not ways we are saved. God saves us by grace. But because of His grace, now we can follow Him in this law of liberty. When God's Word goes to work in us, it changes us. It changes how we act. It changes how we act. Keep going with the Lord. Keep following Him. Receive the implanted Word and follow this perfect law of liberty. What, what might that look like? James gives us in these few verses a couple real specific examples I want to give you just real quickly. Two, I, I've kind of taken the verses here and put them in two categories that, in my mind of the way that God's Word goes to work. Two different areas of our life that I, I think this shows up. One's about our words and other's about, about the way we relate to the world around us. So if, we, if God's Word goes to work in our lives, you know what it does? It changes our words. It changes our words. Let God's Word go to work on your words. Amen? That's a tough one. And James will circle back to this. So if you miss it this time, James chapter 3, we'll get it again. Beloved brothers is what he says in verse 19. And that's James so many times uses brothers as a transition, as a way of talking about it with affection. But you know what he's also doing? He's reminding you of your salvation. He's reminding you that if you're a brother with James, we call each other brother and sister, we're part of the family. He's saying, I'm talking to you, Christian brother. You've got the word in you. You've got the word in you, so let that change your words. Let that change your words. Being a Christian changes our hearts, as we talked about. changes your affections. What, what, what about our heart change? Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what? If you have a mouth problem, you know what you really have? You have a heart problem. It's not just a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. 
Verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious, James says, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James takes this idea, this implanted word in us, and gives us a real tangible way, like concrete way, that we can see whether the word is having its effect on us like it's supposed to. Is God's word in you changing the words that come out of your mouth? That's a way to test to see whether, whether that's words, words having the, the effect it's supposed to have. Is God's word changing your words? Like we said a moment ago, God is, is in the process of sanctifying you. Your words probably didn't change overnight, especially if you spent long years apart from the Lord and then came to know the Lord. There's going to be some habits. There's going to be some vocabulary. There's going to be some, some, some crude talking and some gossiping that are, that are deep-seated habits in your life. And that might not change overnight. It could. God can do it. But it might take some time. But as you look back over the last month, five years, 15 years, 30 years of your life, is your word, are your words getting more holy? Are they getting more Christ-like? Are your words sounding more like words of the Lord? Or are they still like the world? What you may be claiming as saving faith may in fact be worthless. That's what G James uses, worthless, if your words are never transformed. Because if your words still sound like the world, then your heart probably hasn't been changed by Jesus. He says religion that is worthless Worthless. Somebody who hasn't bridled their tongue. Bridle is a, a, a horse term. He'll come back to this in, in, in chapter 3. It's being guided. Is your, is your mouth being guided like it should be by the Spirit of Christ? Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may receive grace to those who hear. If your language is full of foul language, crude jokes, immature babble, hurtful gossip, God's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to change, to let the word in us change our words. Or as he says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those are supernatural things, not natural. It is not natural to be slow to speak. Take it from me. I, I speak for long periods of time every week. I want to speak. That's what I want to do. I want to talk, 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 talk. It's hard sometimes to stop. And listen. Will you listen first? You got two ears. Everybody you know, points this out. You got two ears, one mouth. Probably a good ratio, right? Speak half as much as you listen. Listen twice as much as you speak. Listening is hard. We're always anxious to get in our thoughts. It's hard to even let somebody finish a thought before we want to get in our thoughts. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Because if we're not that, you know what quickly follows after? Anger. Anger. Be slow to anger. You know what anger never does? Almost never. It never changes people heart, people's hearts. He said that anger, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Listen, if you're a parent, we try this all the time. We try to scream at our kids. You know what screaming can do? Screaming can get our kids' actions to change temporarily. Screaming doesn't change our hearts. When we get mad, we get angry. That's not just a kid thing. That's a coworker thing. That's a boss thing. When we scream, when we get angry, we can change somebody's actions. We rarely, almost never change somebody's hearts. Anger does not produce, produce the righteousness of God. We think that our words, just being louder, can change something, and it doesn't. But it's just bitterness inside of us, and it does not change hearts. Proverbs 14, 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty tongue, a hasty temper, exalts folly. God's word, when it goes to work on you, will change your words. It'll change your words. 
And one other area that he tells us it'll change is it changes how we relate to the world around us. This is a little bit long, but I want you to follow what I'm saying here. Let God's word in you rub off on the world, not the world rub off on you. You got that? Let God's word in you rub off on the world, not the world rub off on you. Verse 21, he tells us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Listen, if God's word in you is, is in you, you're not going to continue in the lifestyle of sin that you've been in before. It just, it just won't happen. There will be a change of heart, a change of desire. When you see that sin, you're going to say, my, my heart doesn't want that anymore. It's drawn to it still. I'm still tempted by it. But God has put a new heart in me, and I don't want to continue in that lifestyle of sin anymore. I'm going to put away. James, uh, just same, same way that we read in Paul over and over again, put off and put on. So James is saying, take it off like, like, a, like a dirty robe. Get rid of it. Put away all filthiness and rampant witness. We cannot continue to live in sin if we're hearing the Word of God. If God's Word is in us, it changes the way we live. And if we continue to live in sin, we're, not, we're, we're, putting, we're putting mufflers over our ears. And we can no longer hear God's Word. Like in verse 27, it says, Keep oneself unstained. Unstained, being pure, not following the world's dirty habits. If you're picking up the world's dirty uh, perceptions of reality, the way they view so many different things about politics or sexuality or whatever else, if you're filling your mind with bad things online, what you, move, what you listen to, what you watch, if you're filling your mind and your time with gossip or unhelpful or immature topics, you're, just, you're putting your stains all around you. God's Word says, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to be surrounded by the filth. We don't, we don't want to take off the filth. So what's the solution? Do we just go live in a bubble? We just, well, I got, here, here's how I'm going to stay pure, James. I got an idea. I'm just going to go isolate myself in some remote desert and live in a bubble, and I'll just wait for Jesus to come back. He says, no, 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 no. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphan widows and widows in their affliction. You see, as Christians, we are called to be in the world, not of the world. We are called to care for those who have needs. If God's word is in you, if He is transforming your heart, you know what your heart starts to look like? It starts to look like the heart of Christ. Who did Christ spend His time with? When they, when they brought children to Jesus, you know what His disciples said? No, 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 don't. He doesn't have time for that. He's too important for kids. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the little children come unto me. He invited children in. Who did Jesus care about? Did He care about the rich and the famous most? Or did He, did he have time for the widow? Did He have time for the woman who had been 12 years with a sickness? He had time for those who were down and out. In our hearts, if our hearts have the Word of God in us, if God's Word goes to work on our hearts, it will change the way we interact with those who are in need. You read these categories of, of, of widows and orphans, and you think, what, what do they have in common? Well, in the first century world, these are the people who, by the society, didn't have a way to provide for themselves. They didn't have a way to care for their own needs. So today, that certainly could include people with widows, maybe people with uh, addictions, maybe people, people who are incarcerated. There's all kinds of ways that people have needs that can't meet those needs themselves. Of course, close to our hearts is foster children. There are so many foster children in our country, and the statistics are impossible to keep up with. We'll just tell you the real-life story, right? Many of you knew our, the teenager who lived with us last fall. When they needed to move her to a new home, because we're not really capable of taking teenagers, the closest licensed available foster home who was willing to take in a teenager was in Gaffney, an hour away. How many people live in Greenville County? We were shocked that that was the closest licensed available foster home for a teenager. 
This week, the DSS caseworker told me teenagers, there's so many teenagers who need a home, and they're being sent all over trying to find somewhere to go. You want to be a Christian? We want to be pro-life. We want to support life. Care for widows. Care for the afflicted. Care for orphans. Because that's pure and faultless religion. That's letting God's Word come in you and start rubbing off on those around you. Jesus has this incredible moment. I think at least three of the Gospels connect, uh, tell this story. In Luke chapter 5, when he was in one of the cities, there came to, uh, came to him a man full of leprosy. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, make me clean. The very next thing that happened says, and Jesus stretched out his hand. And there's religious leaders around, and they, they knew the, the way the law worked. The way it works is if somebody who is unclean touches somebody who is clean, or vice versa, if somebody who's clean touches somebody who's unclean, you know what happens? The unclean person makes the clean person unclean. Now they're both unclean. That's why any time somebody was a leper came into town, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. Everybody had to give them space because they didn't want to be put out of the temple as somebody who could no longer be in the temple. So everybody who had a disease said, don't touch. So when Jesus, when this man says, Lord, if you will make me clean, Jesus stretches out his hand, and you can almost hear the Pharisees saying, no, don't touch him. Don't, it's going to mess everything up. You won't be able to go into the temple. But you know what happens? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. For the first time in history, it went backwards. The unclean person didn't make the clean person unclean. The clean person made the unclean person clean. And there's a picture of the Word being planted in us, bearing fruit, and rubbing off on the world around us. Who gets the credit? Not us. It's the Spirit of God in us. It's the Word in us. And when it grows... When it bears fruit, when it multiplies, it will change the world. It will change the world.